1: Grace and peace to you, and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, a church that exists to help people like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in a new series called The Faith that's based on the book of Titus, a very short letter from the Apostle Paul written to Titus, but packs a lot with a hot topic for today on leadership. Pastor Sean will tell you how to know if you're an effective leader, and thank God there's no Yelp page to judge us. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free, but if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. Today's part two of the message called Calling All Leaders. Pastor Sean is in Titus 1 and put a marker in 1 Peter chapter 5. It's time for Reaching for Real Life.
2: I want to give us some things that God says to Titus here through Paul about leadership in the church, but I want you to understand wherever you lead, these things are really important. First thing we see, leadership begins with character. Paul starts with character. He begins with the reputation and the character of the leaders, not the skills or experience. I'm not saying skills or experience aren't important, but we so often look, when we're look at choosing leaders in the church, in business, education, wherever we're choosing leaders, we often go, let me see the resume and the skills and experience. And, and that's It's fine, they're important, just Paul begins with the character, and this is critical, because the skills and experience, the resume isn't going to matter if the character isn't there to back it up. It really doesn't matter. I don't care how skilled, I don't care how talented, if the character's not there, it doesn't matter. When they chose the first deacons in the early church, the apostles were getting so swamped, the the Greek-speaking Jewish widows, okay, the church was taking care of those who couldn't take care of themselves. And so there were two major groups, Jewish speaking from Jerusalem, and then there were these Hellenistic Jews from all over the surrounding region who were in Jerusalem, and they had needs as well, and their needs were not being met. And they went and complained to the apostles. Hey, wait a minute, we're being left out. And the apostles said, thank you for bringing that to our attention. Here's what we want you to do. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. They're delegating that responsibility. But look at how he describes them. Seven men of good repute, so their reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. See, it begins with character. And then we work from there. People follow character, not position. You understand that? They they might comply with power or position because they have to, but they're not really going to follow. And as soon as they don't have to anymore, they won't follow. But when it comes to character, people will follow character. I want to give real quickly six character traits to look for in a leader. They're taken from what Paul wrote, but I've kind of summarized them. just to, And these are not, this is not an exhaustive list. But you want to look at the character of a leader. If you're selecting a leader, it's what we look for here in the church. It just as the starting point. I mean, the faith is the first part. But assuming a person who is part of our Christian community and a person of godliness and faith, here are some character traits that we look for. The first is love. And in parentheses next to that, you can write these words, kind of subset. They're caring, they're kind, they're interested in other people. They love God and they love people. They're a person of love. I don't care how great someone may be, I don't care how get, skilled they may be. If they don't care about people, they're not going to make a good leader. Because leading is basically leading people. It's what it is. You're leading what? Leading people. So love is critical. Second, trustworthiness. Or integrity, you can write trustworthiness. In my notes, I've just got slash integrity. In Those people trust you. You do what you say. You're honest. You know, integrity, they, they, they say the, the, the word really is from this idea of, of being the same inside and out. In other words, you're the same when no one's looking. You're the same on the inside as you are publicly. That's integrity. Doesn't mean perfect. Trustworthy and integrity do, do not mean perfect. But there's this sense of trustworthiness. A leader must be trustworthy, they must have integrity. This is kind of related, but I put it as a separate one, authenticity. Authenticity. See, authenticity is where when you were trustworthy, but then you blew it, you just didn't do what you thought you were going to do, or you blew it. Authenticity says, I blew it. Yeah, I didn't handle that well. And let me tell you, this is really powerful. If you're a leader, uh, this is the magic sauce. I'm giving you the magic sauce right now, okay, of leadership. Authenticity. He, here's the deal. When you screw up and you blow it at work and you're, you do not do something well or you do not treat someone well or something, everybody knows it. They do. They all saw it. You're the leader. They know. You're not fooling anybody. The minute you step up and go, I'm sorry, I handled that poorly. I didn't do that well. I want to do that different next time. I'm sorry. The minute you do that, it's like, ah, oh, you just gained trust. Because now they know. They they don't want you to be perfect necessarily. They just want to know you know you're not perfect and you're working on it. Just knowing is huge. When you recognize, man, I lashed out at that person. I handled that poorly. I'm sorry. I I want to do that differently. I shouldn't have done it that way. I'm I'm going to really try to do that differently in the future. It's huge for people. Authenticity is powerful. Here's one. Self-control. 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 And you could write off the side of this one, discipline. Self-control. And really, what's funny, we're going to find in the book of Titus, it's three chapters, it's a very short book. Okay? Paul mentions it five times. Five times he mentioned it as one of the character traits of the elders. In this short little letter, three little chapters, five times he talks about self-control. A leader's got to have self-control. And the more leadership, the higher up they go in leadership, they better have more self-control. If you're the leader, you need to know something. Um, You have the greatest opportunity because of your authority, because of the power that comes with that authority, you have the greatest opportunity to to create positive change. It's a wonderful thing. You also have the greatest capacity to screw things up. You need to know that. That's just true. Leaders, if something's wrong in your organization, you've got to kind of look at yourself first and go, okay, I'm the one with the most authority. Am I screwing this up? I'm not doing it on purpose, but am I doing it accidentally? And let's stop and let's do some self-analysis. Self-control is that thing that that says, okay, I'm checking. I'm paying attention. I'm controlling my impulses. Discipline. Discipline is that thing that says, I'm going to go ahead and do the hard things because it matters. Number five, courage. Courage. I'm not talking about crazy, you know, jump off a cliff, boldness or anything like that. I'm talking about the courage because the very nature of leaders leadership is leaders go first. It's gotta be that sense of courage. Hey, we're gonna try something new. Okay, guys, let's go. Hey, okay, we're gonna stop doing something that we've done forever, even though it's a beloved pet project, because it just doesn't fit what we're about anymore. And we don't we're gonna go do something different. It takes courage. Well, leaders gotta have some courage. And last one, and this, okay, this is another aspect of the magic sauce. Okay, here it is. Write this one down. You got your pens ready? Humility. Humility. Here's the thing. One, we all we all recognize, you know, scripture says God opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. Okay? Something very powerful about humility. I want to suggest to you humility multiplies whatever natural leadership ability you have. Whatever natural talent, whatever natural skills, whatever natural leadership ability you have, humility multiplies it because it understands what I don't do well. Humility isn't afraid to say, you know what, this is what our organization needs and I don't have that so I'm going to let someone else provide that and I'm going to release someone else to do that. The humility is just an accurate view of self. Understand who God is and who is not God and I have this, this accurate view of self. That's what a humble person has. And it's very powerful in leadership, not only in that it prevents you from, from, you know, abusing and hurting people and being prideful and arrogant and all those things, which of course is true, but it also multiplies your effectiveness because I'm telling you, you know, John Maxwell talks about leaders and the different numbers of leaders and the leadership level and for, a, a, you know, a six can't lead a nine and things like that. Maybe, I don't know, all I'm saying is if you're on a leadership scale, a 6 if you're humble, I think you might be able to lead a nine because you're going to let a nine be a nine. You're not going to be threatened by it. You're not going to be trying to hold that nine back. You're going to say, hey, go for it. You're going to fan the flames. You're going to help them lead fully. I've seen some, some humble people go, how did they get in that position? Until you sit, hang around them and watch and go, oh, In their humility, there's this leadership genius because they are very comfortable letting other people grow and shine and lead around them. It's a powerful challenge. And if you're a leader, that's a great little list to kind of do some self-evaluation because we can all grow in every one of those areas. How am I doing in those six leadership traits? Whatever the skill levels or the experience of a leader, these qualities will make them better because that's how character is. And, and I just want to say, no matter how talented a leader, don't fudge on the character. Don't fudge on the character. God's gift of disorder, God's gift to disorder is godly leaders. Second thing, very important principle, and Paul points out to, points out to Titus. The measure of a leader is the fruit around them. The measure of the leader is the fruit around them. It's not their rhetoric. It's not their brilliance. It's not how they sparkle. It is the fruit around them why did Paul tell Titus to look at their family? To look at the family, because no matter where they lead in work, they're already leading somewhere, and it's their family. That's a little test tube of their leadership. How's their family doing? How's the marriage going? How are the kids? It's common sense. If this guy's been a train wreck leading his family, maybe we don't want him to lead the family of God. That just makes sense. But it's a very important principle that the best measure of a leader is the fruit around them. Now, we talk about an elder that way and we understand that clearly. Yep, but you could insert parent. The best measure of a parent is the fruit around them. The best measure of a teacher is the fruit around them, the students. The best measure of a manager is how the team performs. The best measure of a pastor is how the church people of the church are doing what's the fruit to so your words your ideas your work they're all very important but what they produce will be the real test of your leadership the main fruit of a leader is who the people under your leadership ultimately become that's the test
1: and we want to take a quick minute to remind you you're listening to reaching for real life with pastor sean azaro a listener supported ministry of river city community church in this message called calling all leaders it's in the series the faith based on the book of Titus, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue to help others just like you. Find the Give tab at reallife.org. And if you're looking for a new church home, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean.
2: River City Community Church is a church for real life. Real life is what we were created for and what we're all about. In fact, our mission is more people living real life by passionately following Jesus. Hi, I'm Pastor Sean Azaro, and we believe we were made to have a life full of meaning and purpose that can only be found in relationship with our Creator. That's what real life is. It's not just a church thing. It's a way of living that powerfully impacts every area of our lives. River City is come as you are and has a relaxed, casual feel with practical teaching, inspirational worship, and age-appropriate ministry for the whole family. We're located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Matama Park. Our service times are Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15 and Mondays at 7 p.m. River City is a church for real life, and so our home on the web is reallife.org. We hope you'll come and see us as you travel the road to real life.
1: And now the conclusion of the message, Calling All Leaders. This is Reaching for Real Life.
2: The main fruit of your leadership, wherever you lead, is the people around you. And what that means, and I want you leaders to hear me on this, and this is everybody, parents, everybody, every leader. The true measure of your leadership is not what you do, but it will ultimately be what the people under your leadership do. I heard that years ago, and I was like, man, that is absolute truth. The measure of your leadership is not what you do, but what people under your leadership do. See, because that's what we're doing. We're a leader. I'm taking others somewhere. Who they become, the fruit in their leadership is a significant part. It's, a, it's the best measure of how you and I are doing as leaders. It's the measure of an elder, and it's the measure of a leader anywhere. God's gift to disorder is godly leaders. Third thing that Paul points out that is so important, you've got to get this, leadership is stewardship. Leadership is stewardship, because remember in verse 7 he said, an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. In other words, we're leading something, that's what stewardship is, is I'm taking care of something that belongs to someone else. And in a church, it's very easy for us to understand that. Wait a minute, these are are God's people. They're not my people, they're God's people. And so I'm taking care of something that belongs to someone else. Every pastor in this church that leads ministries, they're taking care of something that belongs to someone else. Well, I want to suggest to you, we as leaders anywhere in life, we're taking care of something that belongs to someone else. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. Remember how Peter spoke to elders as a, as a fellow elder, he said, so I exhort elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. This is 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, and remember he called them shepherds? And when the chief Chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. This is in the church context, so that word shepherd is very appropriate. And and what he's saying is, remember you elders, you leaders, you pastors, you group leaders, whoever you are, wherever you're leading, remember, they're not your sheep. You are a shepherd, but there is a chief shepherd who you will give account to. This changes, you know, you understand you're dealing with someone who belongs, whenever you're talking to someone, I'm dealing with someone who belongs to Christ. That changes the way I treat people, doesn't it? They're not my people. They're not here for me. They're his, and I'm his. We use the phrase under-shepherd. I'm assistant to the regional shepherd, okay? That's free for you office fans. But you understand, there's this stewardship, this accountability. This isn't just for elders. This is for The earth is the Lord's. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord. If you run a business, those people, God created them. He has a purpose for their life. Your business, the resources, we want to be stewards. The best leaders understand that leadership is stewardship. There's a great commercial on uh, WOAI, and I've met the owner of this company. He's, I, I believe he is actually technically the owner. But Scott Barr of Southwest Exteriors has a commercial on WOAI where he refers to himself, does the commercial, and then at the end he says, I'm Scott Barr. I'm the steward of Southwest Exteriors. I have two things when I first heard him say that. One was, that's awesome. That's awesome that he knows that, he remembers that, and he reminds. The person who most needs to be reminded of that is him, and he's reminding himself. My second thought was, I don't know if people listening to your commercial get that. Christians do, but I don't know if unbelievers listening to your commercial get it, but I guess it doesn't matter. It's awesome. And I've met Scott. I know him. He's a very generous man. He sees his business as a stewardship trust from the Lord, and he handles it that way. And if you've ever met a business person who, who you know, they get that. The talent I've been given, the opportunities I've been given, now this business that I have, it's the Lord's. Everything I have is the Lord's. My home, everything I have. That changes the way you lead. When you understand as a parent that this family I'm leading, these kids, they're the Lord's. And I've been given stewardship over them. It's a game changer. You're stewarding the vision. You steward people's lives, their work, their ministry. You steward the culture which means to defend it from harmful influences. The, the leader is the steward. When we, years ago, some of you know, we, in our history, have emerged with another church, Christ Redeemer Church, and we became one church. River City had grown pretty rapidly and was really kind of searching for space. We just didn't have a space and another pastor and I from this congregation began to connect and pray together and we got our elders together and God gave us this crazy idea to bring these churches together. Now this was a church who had gone through a really tough history and it was a pretty small group of people who were saying but but they had this very unique perspective. God it's all yours. Whatever you want to do we want you to do it. You want us to sell the property we have. You want us, this is how we acquired our Redland, Redland property. It was in this merge. Do you want us to sell it? Do you want us to share it? What do you want us to do? And so God brought us together. And what was interesting is one of the leaders made this suggestion. He said what we should do, because these two churches were very similar in heart and vision, but very different in methodologies and how we, how we did things. And they said we should m- kind of merge the styles of the church, do a little of both, and, and, and merge the styles. And it was interesting. I, one, I felt that's a really bad idea okay, as a leader. And that, I'm like, that's just a surefire formula to run everybody off, okay? But it was interesting. I didn't even really say that because I understood the why. I understood why. And there, there was, it was a reasonable suggestion. But my first response was, I don't, we're not free to do that because we're not doing what we're doing because we think we just want to. We've been called by God to do things a certain way. And this is his, not mine. I don't have the freedom to do that. And we re- we really felt that there was this thing that God asked us to be a part of, and now for this other church, they were having to make the decision, are we supposed to be a part of that? And man, I've got to tell you, they heard that and completely responded to that. and And you know, Three of our elders today are elders from that church. A number of the people here are from that church. It's a powerful, powerful time. God did something amazing, but it was interesting because we recognize we're stewarding something that isn't ours. We don't have the freedom just to tweak it and mess with it the way we want. We better make sure it's what the Lord's asking us to do. That's the idea behind stewardship. God's gift to disorder is godly leaders. Last thing, I'll wrap with this, because now he gets kind of to the skill part. Leaders must be knowledgeable and experienced enough to teach and rebuke those under their leadership. Look what the scripture says. Remember what he said, verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction, that's the teaching, in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. An elder has to be knowledgeable enough and experienced enough to actually teach people in the word. They don't have to be a gifted public speaker. They don't have to be an orator. But they must be mature enough to help someone else come along and understand the Christian faith and understand the walk. That's basic in the role of a leader or an elder in the context of the church. And I think that's true anywhere. As you have a leader, they have to have the experience, the knowledge to be able to help others come along. But what's interesting, he didn't just say to teach others, but he said they must be able to rebuke those who contradict it. And this is never fun. But I just want to say to you, This is a really important part of leadership. And if you're not willing to do this, you're not ready to be a leader, whether in the church or in education, in business, at home. There are times when you have to just say, yeah, we don't do that. And that, for me, has always been a helpful phrase, whether it be with my kids to say, you know, we don't do that, and here's why. You know, Scripture says, we have to obey mom and dad because mom and dad are doing our best and God's given us a responsibility. And so you've you got to obey. We've got to do things a certain way. Yeah, we don't treat people that way. You don't lash out at people. You don't do that. A leader's got to be willing to protect the culture. In the context of the church, it is this idea of protecting who we are as the body of Christ. But even in, a, in your business... There are values, there are things that you want to see happen and there are people who just don't care. And sometimes you have, to, you have to help them and some will respond really well and they'll really grow. Someone who cares about you enough to bring a loving but real rebuke to you, that's a, valuable, that's a valuable friend. And I know in our culture, man, it's like I don't want to be that person, I don't want to say anything, I don't want to judge, I just want to be all good, I want to be all good, it's all good. That's not leadership because leadership has to acknowledge what's not good and point it out, and say, okay, we're going to do things different. They need to be able to teach. They need to be able to rebuke, to protect the body from harmful influences from the outside, but also from the inside. See, authority is a gift to the body of Christ, and it really is. When carried out the way God designed it, it is a gift to any organization, any family. Parents, don't back away from the authority God's given you. Please, in a culture that is running from authority, and kids are dying for it. Kids are being hurt. Because parents are afraid to take authority. I know this is counterculture, but it seems like a lot of this Bible of ours is. Let's just acknowledge it. And let's make our peace with it. Because the culture's not doing well. And it starts with our kids. But then in the context of an organization, you want to know a well-run organization? When you see a well-run organization, there's always healthy authority in place. That says, here's who we are, here's what we do, and here's what we don't do and is willing to actually toe the line and create boundaries that help people accomplish that. So my, my question, I guess, is how do you view leadership? This is where it gets practical for you and I. How do you view leadership on a national level, local, church? Do you have a healthy view? Not, a, not rose-colored glasses, but a healthy view of leadership. How willing are you to submit to leadership and authority in your life? Because it's not fun. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I like being in authority way better than I like being under authority. But here's the deal. If I'm not willing to be under authority, God will never let me be in authority. It's just a fact. If you're a leader, God wants you to lead differently from the world's leadership, those character traits that we looked at. What do you think he'd have you work on? Do you think about the character traits that you wrote down or think about some of the things we've talked about? Maybe it's the stewardship issue. Maybe it's looking at the fruit and focusing on the fruit, not the bottom line so much. What would God have you focus on? Because we all have influence and we all lead places. If this room full of people and the people in our services this weekend, three different services, if we'll be ones who will just say, yep, I'm going to start exercising the influence I have according to what God's word says. Do you realize what a radical change that would, be. that would in That would impact thousands, tens of thousands of people if we did that. What a powerful thing that could be. Just imagine leveraging the power of leadership to influence for the kingdom of God.
1: That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series The Faith based on the book of Titus, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email that this program blessed you or even better, your financial gift helps as radio ministry continue. Find the Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262 as Reaching for Real Life is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time for more Real Life.